this morning. If you uh, have a Bible or if you want to look it up on your phone, I encourage you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We are uh, going to be doing a study. We started it two weeks ago, but we're going to be doing a study through the um, armor of God through Ephesians chapter 6 for the next few weeks. But Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 10 through 20. But we're going to look at the belt of truth this morning from verse 14. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all power and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that my words may be given to me, and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Verse 14 again, Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thanks for... This chance is to get together at the beginning of another week. Lord, thanks for your grace. Lord, thanks for your goodness to us. Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for the truth of your word and the help of your word. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just help us this morning to see the armor of God, see the belt of truth, that you would just remove, Holy Spirit, any distractions, that you would speak to us through your word that you would encourage us and help us. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, what would you do if you knew that you were about to go to war? I read yesterday a fascinating article in the Wall Street Journal that was titled, Ukraine's Weekend Army Trains as Last Defense Against Russia. Um, I'm not an expert on Russia or the Ukraine, but it has been the talk of the, of the news in the last week and the pressure and the piling up of the Russian troops uh, around Ukraine, and they have been taking it very serious in Ukraine, and they have, uh, they have 51-year-old moms of three-year-olds uh, of young kids out there. They have uh, all kinds of people who are the last defense that they are training on the weekends to prepare in case Russia attacks and uh, things don't go well, the people are going to rise up because this has been an ongoing issue for them. But in 2014, when Russia came in the last time, the citizens, they said in the article, 
Citizens were willing to fight, but weren't prepared or organized. And they learned from that. And spiritually, it's the same thing. We are called to be prepared, to know that we are going into the fight. What would you do if you know you were going to be going into possibly a war? Why would you be concerned? What would the preparation look like? Here's the reason why Ukrainians for the last number of months have been doing this on the weekends, getting together to fight and save their, uh, their, their nation, is because the prospect of war is very real for them. And Ephesians chapter 6 says for us that spiritual war is very real. We are in a spiritual battle, even if we don't uh, feel it or sense it sometimes. We are in a very real spiritual war. The enemy is also pervasive. Russia can attack the Ukraine from any direction it wants to. And spiritually, it's the same way for us. It says in Ephesians 6, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The prospect of war is real. The enemy is pervasive around us, and the plan is in place. That's why the news is consumed with that part of the country right now. They can see that the plan has been put in place. And Ephesians 6 tells us that there's a plan put in place for you and for church in universal and collective and local. It's the spiritual forces of evil. Satan has the schemes of the devil that he wants to go after you. He is going after you. You've experienced it all week if you knew it or, or not. He's got, he's got wily tactics. He's got strategies. He's got secret agendas. They're plural. They're constant. And they're relentless. This is how Paul described to this church in Ephesus this concern. The attack in Ukraine may be a possibility. But spiritually, as a believer, it is an absolute present reality. If you're a follower of Christ, once you became a Christian, you were put in instant conflict with Satan. He, he has been raging against you. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter your position in life. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. As a believer, as Christians, we are in conflict. We've been put in conflict. Satan is in conflict with us. But the reality is we are not without great resources. That's what Ephesians says. We, we've been adopted. We've been reconciled. We, we, we have Christ in us. We have the armor of God for us. So it's not like we are not without great resources, but the reality of these resources that we have as Christians, they actually ratchet up the battle because it, it, that, that's what causes Satan to go after believers and church and all the things that stand for God because Satan's pride, he's delusional, and his disdain for God and God's people. When you think of the spiritual battle with Satan and God and how the Bible describes it, don't look at it as if it's God and Satan is equals. They're not equal. It is, it's, it's not really a fair fight, but it is a fight. Satan is a defeated enemy, but he is still ravaging around trying to mess with us and destroy us. This is why Paul, at the end of this great book of Ephesians, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength 
of his might. And he, he says, stand, stand, stand in this. Here's what's happening. There's this, this, there's this battle taking place all around you. And, in, and one more time, in verse 14, he says it again, stand therefore. Because of all these reasons, because of Satan's constant attack at you, because he's constantly got a strategy to take you out, because he's constantly coming up with relentless plans to mess with you and to mess with your faith and mess with your relationships, he, he wants to destroy you. That is his his plan, so stand. He, he, I just want to go over again a little bit the, the battle that we are in. He, here's how Satan's battle comes at us with, with this idea of stand. This is what Satan wants to do and is doing to you and to collectively to the church of Jesus Christ. What he first wants to do in your life is he wants to and does is he wants to discredit God. This is his, always one of his strategies, to discredit God. This is what he did at the beginning in Genesis chapter 3 when he came to Adam and Eve, and he says to Adam, hath, hath God said? Did, did God really say not to eat from that? Can you really trust God? God, Satan, and the enemy wants to discredit God. He wants you to think that you really can't trust God for what you're going through. He wants you to believe that you're wasting your life even considering God. He, he loves to throw doubt into your minds. Doubts about God is not just coming up out of your own brain as a believer. It's coming from attacks from Satan. He, he wants to constantly assail you with that. He, he wants you to say no to God. He wants you to discredit God and just say, hey, I'm just not going to follow God. He wants disobedience in your life. That's what he's looking for because his whole plan is to discredit God. That's the battle, is to discredit God. He also wants to, the battle is he wants to present difficulties in living the Christian life. He wants to make it very hard for you to live as you should. He wants to put problems in your way. He wants to put persecutions around the world. He's got all these strategies, all these plans, all these forces of evil that this is his plan. Discredit God, create difficulties for Christians to live their life. You get really excited about something. You have a moment on a Sunday where you think, yes, I, that's what I'm going to do with my life. That's how I want to live. Then you wake up on Monday and every desire that you had gets attacked. And you think, is it worth it? And it just seems like an obstacle then to follow God. That's Satan's strategy. It's not coincidence. It's, it's a strategy of Satan to make it difficult for you to live the Christian life. He wants to also then to create a dullness in your Christian life. If you're bored spiritually, it's because you're under attack spiritually. There's an attack to get you to see the Bible is boring, to see church is boring, to see the community of faith is boring, to, to read your Bible and it just seems dull to you, and just like, oh, we've done this before, it doesn't seem to be moving. This is straightened strategy in your life. He wants to make it a sense of dullness, bored spiritually, filled with difficulties. And then the way he also does this is by dishing out to you just enough comfort. He actually lets you get the job to let you pay your bills, and so that you don't have to trust God as much. He, he lets you start to collect these things with stuff, and you look around and think, life's pretty good. I, I might need, not need God as much as I think I need God. Satan's strategy is to create in you this absolute dullness that you can just ride the fence spiritually. You're for God, but you're not for God. You're just kind of lukewarm. This is his plan for us. It makes just this dullness. He wants to discredit God. He wants to give difficulties in the Christian life. He wants to have this dullness in your Christian life. 
And he wants to create division with you and your relationships, in churches. This is why in Ephesians 4, he says, Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is what Satan's strategies are. He loves division. He also likes to create doctrinal errors or just take you down other ways. And then he wants you to live a life of undrained swamp from your past. Or you just, you, 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 these past pains you can't get over. These failures that you can't get over. These frustrations, these hurts. He wants you just to kind of live in that little swamp. And it just keeps you from moving forward. It keeps you to, to, to fighting. These are all the battle. And what he calls you to do in all of that, as we're getting these attacks, constantly, this is the reality. He wants you to think that that doesn't really happen. It does happen. This is what he's saying to us. But the call in all of that is to stand. It's to stand. In the article I read about Ukraine, this is what the article said with their prospect of going to war from a 68-year-old Yuri Boyko. He said, Ukraine has been under threat so often for so long that many people have grown complacent about the need for urgent preparedness. Our military preparation is a problem. A lot of Ukrainians don't want to fight. That could be said for Christians as well, spiritually. Our, we've been under such attack for so long. We've been under such uh, uh, difficulties. God's been discredited in your life. There's been difficulties. There's a dullness. There's this division. There's doctrine. All those things are just always true. They've always been around. And then they've just created this complacency to be prepared to stand up against Satan. In Ephesians chapter 6, and the armor of God is to say stand. Stand under those things. And here's the blessing of standing. In 2 Samuel chapter 23 is the story of Daniel, excuse me, of David at the end of his life, and it talks about his mighty men of valor. It's an un unbelievable chapter of unbelievable characters. And it starts out with the three, the top three ones. The first guy, Joshab Bashabeth. I mean, he killed 800 people with a spear by himself. He was one of David's mighty men, but in chapter, verse 11, it says, And next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi the Herite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. Here, here is this guy, Shama, in this field of peas. He's in a bean field. He, he's standing there, a bunch, a bunch of vegetables. The Philistines come after him. Everybody else runs away. But this guy says, no, I'm going to stand in the vegetable field. I'm going to defend it. This is, and he, he fights against it. He keeps all these people away in this little field of lentils, which doesn't seem like much. I mean, we look at that and say, why would you do that? Why are you, don't you know, I mean, you are, it's you against all this other army, and it's just a bunch of vegetables. 
Why would you stand there? But he, because he knew the value of the vegetables. He knew how to prepare and take care of people in the future. And he stood his ground. And he stood, and he, and he says, and he defended it, and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. I mean, this guy, this, this guy in this little pea patch, that's what marked his life, as that he stood up for that. You might look at your life that way, and your circumstances, and say, well, what does it matter if I really stand up for God? I mean, what do I, what, what's it matter? I'm just in this little pea patch of a life anyway. No one cares. I'm going to be forgotten. I'm not really doing anything that impressive. But it does matter to God. And it clearly matters to Satan. Because if you're a Christian, he's coming after you. But through this, even in that little pea patch, God saw that. And it says the Lord worked a great victory for him. That's the blessing for for standing. There's the protection is available. That's what we have. We have this whole armor of God, and we are called to stand. It's an active call. It's a response that we are supposed to give. There's an old hymn that would say and talk about it a lot. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his army shall he lead till every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor. Every piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. The day, the no- this day, the noise of battle the next, the victor's song. What we are called to do is to stand. Right at the beginning of this, that's the question you've got to ask yourself. Are, are you standing? You would say, I, I just feel like my life's a pea patch of nothing. What's the point? The point is God's called you to stand. There's a real battle raging, and there's a real blessing of standing because protection is available, and the armor of God is available, but there's constantly blasts from the evil one. He's got strategies but he wants to take you personally out. He's got schemes. He's got structures and things that we are supposed to avoid. Romans 13, 12 through 14 gives a whole list of things. This is what he wants us to be a part of. He wants to wipe us out with this thing. So we need to be ready. And Paul says, starts out with, there's the battle. Here's how Satan attacks you. Here's the schemes. Now, how do you get prepared for that? What do you need to do to be able to stand up against all these strategies, schemes, and structures to avoid? What's the armor, and how do we do it? What do we do with it? And he starts out with, the belt, which does not sound exciting at all, does it? He gives this big, uh, big thing about how he's going to come after you, Satan's going to after you, and you pick up your belt. Um, it sounds weak, but back in the time when, David, when Paul would have wrote this, uh, all the Roman guards, they, they would have owned these tunics that had a hole in the top and arms, like they, they wore dresses, and they would just be flowing. Even in the Old Testament, everybody wore dresses. And so when you were serious about having to do something, you would put on your belt because you needed to get everything that was flowing freely together and tight. So when you were running, it didn't trip and you didn't fall. This is what the belt was for. It was just, it kept everything together. They would tuck their 
parts the extra cloth in the belt so they can move freely, so they can run freely. They didn't want to be tripping up in hand-to-hand battle with somebody. That's with the belt, but it was also protection that was more of like a thick leather apron that would help protect the lower parts of your body. And it kept everything together. So even in the Old Testament, when they're eating the meal of the Passover, it says to put on your belt, tighten your belt, secure the belt, be prepared. It was a sense of being prepared. It's, it's like the let's, the let's roll signal. When, when, when you are fastened at your belt, when, they, on a, when a soldier put that on, it was like this mark that he's prepared to go to war. It was extremely important. It was most the first thing they probably put on. They got everything else tucked in and ready to go. But what's the message of the belt of truth? What's the, what's the truth? It's, it has the idea of the content of truth and also the course of truth. What you need to know about truth and how to apply the, the truth. And Ephesians 4.21 actually gives the answer. Of, well, what's the belt of truth? What's, what's truth? And Ephesians 4.21 says, talking about how you're not supposed to live. He says in verse 20, but this is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. What's the belt of truth? What's the truth? The truth is Jesus. Jesus is truth. This is what God has said all the way from the Old Testament, not just in Ephesians with Paul looking at the Roman soldiers that he was being locked to while he was in prison. But in Ephesians, Isaiah 59, 14 through 17, it says justice is turned back. They're looking at the world of their time and the Isaiah the prophet says justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him and there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld it. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, and he wrapped himself in zeal as is a cloak. God saw the truth was gone. What was right, people were doing what was wrong. He saw that there was no truth, no man standing up for truth, and he said, I'll put my own armor on, and I will go and stand up for truth, and he did that in Jesus. Jesus is truth. The truth is what Jesus says in Acts 4.12, there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the truth. This is the belt. Jesus is that belt. And the belt of truth is in the content of Jesus, and where we get the content of Jesus is in Scripture. The Bible is said to be the truth. There are people who will say, I like Jesus, but I just don't like what the Bible says. And they want to have Jesus, but they don't want to have what Scripture says. 
Well, Jesus was the one who quoted Scripture all the time. Jesus was the one who, where we learn about Jesus is from Scripture. You can't separate the two. Jesus quoted Scripture. He was the truth. He is Scripture. And what he says about life and how to live, which is found in the Bible, is the truth. The Bible is the truth. And so to believe and to disbelieve whatever you please is after all, as Augustine said, not to believe the gospel, but to believe yourself. Listen, if you say you're a Christian, but you just like to, you, you, you seriously, you may never say this out loud, because you're smart enough not to do that around here. But at home, you're reading the Bible, and you say, I don't really like that. I don't think I really have to follow that. I like Jesus, but I'm not really going to, I don't think it's right what he says about this situation, or how to deal with this situation. But I, but I love Jesus. You're not loving Jesus. You're loving your own mind, Augustine said. To love truth is to love the truth of God's word. And to take it in and to believe it. The church, the Bible said, is the pillar of truth. So we get together to encourage each other in the truth and to help us in the truth. But how, how do we put on the armor how do we begin to put on the belt of truth is Jesus is the truth and the word is the truth. And I love how Tom Olson said it. He said, the question you have to ask then is, ask who or what has the final say in my life? If Jesus is the truth, and are you putting on the belt of truth, ask yourself who or what has the final say in my life when it comes to decisions that you're making how you navigate your relationships how how you parent how you go to work how you worship how you have different relationships what you believe who has the final say in your life is it you or is it jesus is it your feelings is are, are your feelings the final assessment is it a person that has the final assessment over you? Is it you just simply do what maybe your boss says or what a friend says or a spouse wants you to do? Is it the culture that has a final assessment over you that you simply just kind of keep following along but not too close or just keep coasting along with culture? Or is it just comfort? You know, I, I'm just going to stay comfortable that has the final assessment of how you serve and do what God has called you to do. What, what has the final say? If we put on the belt of truth, Christ is the one who's supposed to have the final say. Jesus is the one who's supposed to have the final say. We, we put on the belt of truth by saying, you know what? It, it may be uncomfortable. It may be a struggle. But I'm going to tighten my belt. I'm going to pull it up. I'm going to let Jesus Christ have the final say in the matters of my life. There was no one who did that better or more beautifully than Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 4. He, he, he stands up before the synagogue, says that he was the one sent by God, and then Satan takes him out, and he's led into the wilderness for 40 days, and Satan comes up to him and says, I can give you lots of comfort. I can give you all kinds of power. I can give you a peaceful life. And those were real temptations. And Jesus' response every single time, looking at the future that he had, was, you, you quoting, was quoting Scripture. 
Here's what the Bible says. Hear what Scripture says. Don't tempt the Lord your God. And as he stood, as he stood up and gave his father the final say, Satan fled from him. He, he, he left him. Jesus is the greatest picture of what it looks like to put the belt of truth on. It's to stand when everything else in your flesh, your mind, your thoughts is like pulling you to go to a different direction. Every urge in your body is to going to a different direction. And you say, no, I'm going to let Jesus have the say. I'm going to adjust my life for what Jesus wants me to do. I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand my ground with the strength of Jesus. It is the beautiful example is Jesus. And how do we do that? What's the best practice for us to do that? What's first? We do what Ukraine does. Literally doing. And spiritually, we, we, we prepare. We, 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 we prepare. You ever seen somebody, guys jump out into the stadiums in the middle of a football game or something? I watched one guy do it. You know, they think they put all this effort into. They tell all their friends about it. You know, I'm, I'm going to jump out there, and they, they even bet on themselves. And it's going to be this great strategy. They got a great plan. And they, I saw a guy do it one time. He jumped out, got halfway down, his pants fell down. Uh, was on the ground. I'm just thinking, you idiot! All that strategy, all that effort, you forgot to put a belt on. You didn't tighten it up before you left. He wasn't prepared. We do the same thing spiritually. We, we don't tighten it up. We're not prepared. It's a decision that has to be, to be made. I mean, it's a de- deliberate decision that you make. Say, so, you know, I'm going I'm to take my stand. I'm going to put the belt of truth. I'm going to see Jesus is the truth. Scripture is true. I'm going to realign my entire life by God's grace off of what Scripture says. I'm going to stand. I mean, it's a decision you have to make. And there's deliberate intake that has to be taken. It's this constant taking in of the Word. So why we gather week after week after week on Sundays to do the same thing, to talk to each other, to sing, to hear His Word, to encourage each other, so that we can stand for another week. When you open the Scriptures, you're just deliberately doing this intake of taking in Scripture so that you can stand. It's a deliberate intake. It's a deliberate direction to say, I'm just going to follow Jesus. I'm going to see what Scripture says. I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to follow Him. It's, it's a never stopping to look at Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your faith. I could pull the room and ask you, you know a Christian who was doing really well, loved Jesus, following Jesus, and then just faded away? You know somebody who was living for God and then just wrecked their life? And I, I'm sure all of us could say, yeah, I know somebody. What happened? What happened was they didn't armor up. They didn't do the first thing consistently and put on the belt of truth and deliberately take in and say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to trust his word. When you have a belt on, you have all kinds of great success, even through great battles. One more stupid story. When I was in high school, 
We played in a competitive flag football, if you can believe it. We took it very serious, too. And we would travel to play other teams. I mean, we were intense. It was when the Bears were great, so we thought we were the Bears. I was Mike Singletary all the time. And I would go out there. We had football pants with no, no pads and football jerseys. We thought we were it and I had the greatest football flags. And we would play. And we would play high school after high school little Christian schools. We loved it. And one game I was playing in, it was muddy, and someone grabbed the back of my pants and they they ripped them. So the whole back end of my pants is open. I didn't want to come out of the game. And I kept playing until they they finally dragged me out. But I could have played forever. You know why? My belt was still on. And so I had enough of my pants on that I didn't care because my belt was still on. When you have the belt of truth, you can go through all kinds of battles, all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of struggles. But when you have the belt of truth, you'll have that kind of courage no matter what. It's being prepared. It's putting on the belt of truth. The truth is Jesus and it's standing. Dale and Betty, we did their memorial service yesterday. They loved him, so I'm doing two today. I'm going to close with this from John Morsel. Fight the good fight with all thy might. Christ is thy strength and Christ thy right. Lay hold on life, and it shall be thy joy and crown eternally. Run the straight race through God's good grace, and lift up thine eyes and seek his face. Life with its ways before thee lies. Christ is the way, and Christ the prize. Cast care aside. Lean on thy guide. Lean in his mercy. He will provide. Lean and the trusting soul shall prove Christ is its life and Christ is its love. Then he said this, Faint not nor fear, his arm is near. He changeth not, thou art dear. Only believe and thou shalt see that Christ is all and in all in thee. We stand with the belt of truth, which is Jesus Christ the gospel of our salvation, which gives us great courage and great hope. It's a sign of being prepared. Are you prepared? Are you standing? Are you putting on daily by faith the belt of truth?